Hello, hockey humans of the world. Welcome to Tough Call Podcast Season 3, where I talk about all the latest hits and suspensions around the NHL. Thanks to you folks, I have over 3,000 Twitter followers and over 250 subscribers to my YouTube channel, which is where you'll find my in-depth video breakdowns of the plays I cover here on the audio podcast. Just go to YouTube and search Tough Call Channel to find me there. And to get the most out of your overall Tough Call experience, the best thing you can do is follow me everywhere you can by subscribing to the YouTube channel Tough Call and leaving comments there, following me on Twitter at Tough Call Pod and my other account at NHL Call. And of course, hitting the subscribe button on this Tough Call audio podcast and giving it a five-star rating right now. Thanks very much for the support. I don't want to take the hitting out of hockey. I want to put the hockey back in hitting. Hello folks and welcome to Tough Call Podcast Season 3 Episode 5 which will cover the period from February 5th to February 15th, 2022. Now I didn't pay much attention to the stats of this podcast because quite frankly there's so many incidents in the NHL to cover I don't even have enough time to make all the videos I want or build these podcast episodes as frequently as I'd like to. So I definitely haven't been able to put any amount of time or effort into trying to up my SEO score or manipulate algorithms or even understand what any of that means. I've just been so focused on trying to keep up with content. So anyway, one day I finally did take a moment to search, and I discovered I have been bouncing in and out of the top 100 hockey-based podcasts in Canada. Since I'm obviously not doing anything to bump myself up, that's all on you folks. And I appreciate all of you who interact and follow along with this adventure. We're making great progress and triggered a lot of important discussion at some pretty high levels. I even had a compliment from Tim Peel the other night on Twitter. I asked him to watch my breakdown video on the Zadorov check to Kasia the other night, and amazingly, he got back to me right away saying he agreed with my breakdown. I'm also suddenly creeping up towards 600 YouTube subscribers, with over 200 new subscribers signing up just in the last three and a half weeks alone. So there's been some significant growth of the brand in a very short period of time. And I'm really excited to see where this may go, heading into the backstretch of the NHL regular season and into the playoffs. So whatever you're doing for me, keep it up, and in turn, it'll motivate me to keep putting content out so everybody wins, especially the lives we may save, the careers we may extend by getting the hockey world to change the way it approaches contact. At Tough Call, I don't want to take hitting out of hockey. I don't want to take the physicality away. I just want to put the hockey back in hitting. Without further ado, here's this week's WTFs. Now, I call this segment WTFs, or Weekly Total Fines and Suspensions, but each episode lately has covered slightly more than a one-week period, so just keep that in mind. And the last five or six days for the NHL's Department of Player Safety have actually been fairly busy. Now, there were only three suspensions, which doesn't sound like much, but for this DPO, as it is, and it's more the type of suspension that makes the last week a particularly difficult one for the NHL, they finally decided to take a stand against Brad Marchand of the Boston Bruins. He was given six games for a combination of roughing and high-sticking to Pittsburgh goaltender Tristan Jari. To me, he did make a mockery of the sport in this case. I put a video out about it. Punching Jari well after the whistle, then being pulled away by the linesman, and then going out of his way to make a big circle around and come at Jari again well after the fact. It was a poor showing, and he absolutely deserved a suspension, in my opinion. But I will say the NHL has taken a remarkably hard stance to Marchand by their standards, where they've shown no willingness to try and stop him before now. And of course, you'll ask, how can I say that when he's now become the most frequently disciplined individual player in NHL history? They've obviously tried to do something with him before. But look at his body of work. I made a video of this incident, like I said, and I say why I'd suspend him too. But in that video, I show him doing very similar things after the whistle with his stick 
and the, the punching and all that from just last season. This is not the first time he's done this, and nothing was done about it then, not even a fine. And we see it so many times as isolated incidents from other players who don't have a history, and nothing is done. But oddly enough, the only reason they don't have a history is because the league doesn't do anything, so they can't get a history. The players now clearly have a history of committing the crime, they just don't have a history of being punished for it. And now Marchand is appealing his suspension, and I'll say I think he's got a good case. The league has ignored similar acts as routine. So they'll say, yeah, but Marchand has a history. But the league has also been notoriously soft on repeat offenders, also as a routine. And if I were Marchand, I'd be appealing on the grounds the league has allowed me to get away with this kind of stuff before by giving me every indication what I did was okay. He said it himself already. What I did was stupid, but is it suspendable? And he says no. And from what we've seen as messaging from the NHL to date, including to Marchand himself, all indications are this isn't suspendable on a normal day for any other player. So good on him for appealing. And if you think he shouldn't be appealing, maybe we should put some pressure on the NHLPA to also barter for harsher punishments in the next CBA and show the NHL higher-ups players are actually ready to take their lumps. And as if to prove his point, the other suspensions this week from the DOPS were two games for a late, high hit to an opponent's head and two games for kneeing someone on the ground after a fight while both are being restrained by the linesman. I don't see how those two things are equal. They both shouldn't be two games. One is clearly worse than the other. And I don't see how Watson got two games for something we see literally every game, the high hit to the head, and I mean literally every game, without even a minor penalty being called. And I don't see how what Marchand did is worth three times as much as what Felino did, that kneeing the opponent after the fight. And if you're going to tell me it's because of Marchand's history, then I don't see how six games is enough of a message for someone with Marchand's extensive past. So as usual, the inconsistencies are all over the board. There's no clear message on what's acceptable and what isn't. So everything is going to keep going as is. And now for the incident of the week. And in a rare tough call move, this week's incident for me is one that isn't suspension worthy or even penalty worthy. It's the Nikita Zadorov check to Andre Kasia I alluded to in the intro. Now again, I made a video breaking this play down. So if you like, you can go ahead and pause this episode and watch it. But ultimately, I think it's a nice clean check with the type of technique I'm looking for. It brings up the way of looking at checking with the idea of was there just head contact or was it truly a headshot? And there is a big difference. This comes up again at a short clip I posted on my Tough Call Twitter feed of last night's John Carlson penalty on Brady Kachuk for an illegal check to the head. It, it wasn't an illegal check in any way, in my opinion. It just may have resulted in head contact. And I'm not even sure if that's the case, but either way, Kachuk's head certainly snapped back, and that's what drew the call. I posted this video with no personal opinion. I simply said, this was called an illegal check to the head, and what do you think? And the majority of the answers were, I can see why the official called it in the moment, but I don't think it was a penalty based on the replay. And you know what? That's exactly how I feel too. I'm not blaming the ref here at all. He's told to look for head contact. Rule 48. He's looking for it. And from behind, you see a head snap back like that. You have milliseconds to make a decision. You make it. Fair enough. And I'm not blaming Brady Kachuk for snapping his head back either. Don't get me wrong. You're driving to the net. You've got a big man coming at you and you feel contact. Maybe his head just snapped back from the force of legal core contact. That happens. Either way, you're going to pull your head back out of the way just to be safe, especially if you feel even a slight graze on your chin. So in all that analysis, which again for the official is done in, in a second or milliseconds, 
You know what we never once looked at? was John Carlson himself. And how are we supposed to make accurate calls when by the very nature of the rule, you're supposed to look anywhere but the offending player and see what he's doing? If we got back to primarily watching the player delivering the check, you know, the one who's supposedly committing or not committing the infraction, that would probably be ideal, wouldn't it? And to further emphasize this point, I made a video just yesterday and posted it on my YouTube channel, and it's all about exploding into contact. The difference between checking to me and hitting, and the minuscule difference between what potentially turns a legal check into a headshot, what turns head contact into a headshot. But I'll dive deeper into that in a minute in my segment called Here's the Thing, but first here's this episode's by request. The buy request for this episode comes from YouTube user Brian Schlaff, who commented on my Austin Watson high hit video and asked if I could do a video on the Vince Dunn slash to Trevor Zegras, so that's what I'll talk about here today. I hadn't even heard of that incident until he let me know about it, so thanks very much for that, and I depend on this kind of commenting and appreciate it very much. Now, I didn't get a chance to do my breakdown video, unfortunately, and make an official suspension recommendation, but I did post a video of just the incident, so you can go watch that and be, be the judge for yourself. To analyze this incident under today's rules is actually pretty frustrating, because you have a player going out of his way behind the play to poke the back of an opponent's leg, and then you have a retaliatory turnaround stick swing at waist height, and it's passed off as a mutual exchange between two players that's going to happen sometimes. But it doesn't happen sometimes. It happens all the time. To the point where in discipline videos, they explain, This isn't a case of two players exchanging slashes, or cross-checks, or punches, or what have you. The whole philosophy of, oh well, as long as it's both players doing it, it's fine, is so backwards. Because generally, if a player knew the original call was going to be made, and the league would suspend an individual, and be rewarded for not fighting back, they likely wouldn't. But since they know it doesn't happen not even close to consistently anyway, they stand up for themselves. And then the league washes their hands of it, preferring to let the players handle it. Well, look, I'm all for players sticking up for themselves, and sometimes it is worth it even if you know you're going to be suspended. But I'd like to know the guy who started it is still going to take most of the blame. The fact that neither the jab here nor the slash were looked at, and at least fined, shows exactly how far we still have to come. Hi folks, thanks for listening to Tough Call. If you're enjoying my takes on head contact and player safety, but you'd like to hear me talk about other aspects of hockey, I'd like to take just a minute and tell you about another project of mine, Bolton from Bolton. Bolton from Bolton is where I, Josh Bolton, and my brother Matt, you guessed it, Bolton, set each other up for a lively hockey talk covering literally anything to do with it. It's not heavy analysis and stats, it's kitchen banter, like you do with your own family and friends. Head over to YouTube and subscribe to our Bolton from Bolton channel. That's B-O-U-L-T-O-N. Or find us on all audio formats as well. We find ourselves funny. Maybe you will too. And there's only one way to find out. See you there. And now, back to Tough Call. And now with that out of the way, I'll expand on the topic of avoidable head contact. And to start with, I'll refer you to my video on exploding into a hit. It's eight minutes long and actually doesn't focus on the negative at all. It focuses on the type of hard, exciting, and yes, sometimes violent contact we could see nightly if we'd only change our mindset. 
Look at it like a golf swing. The harder you try and smack that ball and clobber it, the more likely you are to hit the top of the ball or knock it sideways or ultimately do everything except what you want to do. But if you approach calmly and concentrate more on technique rather than force or power, you get that sweet spot. You get that satisfying sound of club squarely on the core of the ball. You get more distance and more power with less effort and much more accuracy. And the same is true with body contact. So here's the thing. The more you try to reach out and explode and make violence, the less control you have on approach, the more likely you are to hit the head or not be able to react when someone turns their back or does something else unexpected. And it brings me to something I see with alarming frequency. I talk about upward and outward explosion all the time and I get a fairly excited response. People say, but that's how you hit. And that scares me. That frightens me. No, it isn't. You should never extend beyond the point where you're going to lose your balance. You should never throw yourself into contact. You should never launch or rise up to the point where you're at head level because if you do, it means you've forfeited control of your own movements. You should not be dependent on the person you are making contact with to hold you up. You've taken all the weight off your own skates and are essentially in a moment of free fall with no way to change the outcome when something goes wrong. Saying he was committed to the hit is such a poor excuse because you should never be so violently committed to contact that you can't back out or at least somewhat change direction last second. We always use the excuse for players that things happen so fast as if that's the end of the story. Oh, he didn't have time. Turned his back. Whatever. Well, two things about that. How come players can always make adjustments at the last second to ensure contact happens? They can always reach out with an arm or a leg or jump sideways. How come they can make a sudden turn into a player? but they somehow can't figure out a way to stop up if need be. And the truth is, physically, they can. These guys are elite skaters. They can do it, but it's like coming to a traffic light. You're driving in a car, there's a traffic light, you see a green light, and you drive, but you know in the back of your mind, it might turn into a late yellow light. And since you're mentally thinking about that as an option, you can react quite late and stop short of the intersection at the very last second. You're going in expecting to drive through, but you're prepared to slow down and prepared to react if anything changes. If players had that same mentality, especially when approaching opponents near the boards, how different would life be? So think of exploding. If you're gliding into contact under control without lunging, you can turn either way on a dime. If you're reaching out or taking your momentum upward, it's much harder to control. Your turn is severely delayed. And if you go so far as to jump or leave your feet, it's all over. You're, you're past the point of no return. You can't control yourself. But by NHL standards, it's allowed. You're allowed a slight launch. You're allowed an explosion. But what you're saying is it's okay to lose control. It's okay to approach that intersection where you're going to have contact without thinking about the fact that that light might turn yellow, that that player might turn their back, that that player might stumble. That mentality is why players don't have time to stop, because physically they are fully capable of doing it. And now to end off, as always, with a little bit of trivia. So the question last week was, which NHL franchise is most represented in the top 20 longest suspensions in NHL history? And I was using the parameter of on-ice suspensions only, not off-ice suspensions. So which NHL team has the most players in the top 20 longest suspensions in NHL history? And the answer is the Boston Bruins, who have three. The Islanders, Flyers, and Capitals all have two, which isn't necessarily surprising. But what I did find surprising was the Coyotes also have two. And also interesting is if we expand the list to include the top 25 longest suspensions of all time, 
the Flyers and Capitals would each get one more added on top of it to join Boston with three. But sadly for the Bruins, they also have one more player in the top 25. So they'd still be the the most represented franchise with four of the 25 longest on-ice suspensions in NHL history. So congratulations to the Boston Bruins. And now this week's question is, who is the first player to win more than two individual awards in a single season? And we'll have that answer for you next week. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Tough Call Podcast. At Tough Call, I'm not trying to pick on individual teams or players. I want to make the game safer for every player on every team across the league and at every level with no player left behind. I want to cover as many incidents as possible and promote using harsher penalties and player education to meaningfully reduce instances of head contact in hockey. I already get a lot of help from people like you who send me clips or links to incidents or even just a quick tweet or something saying, hey, did you see that? Third period, Bolts-Habs game, checking from behind, something like that. So if you're ever watching a game and you see something questionable or even a good clean check because I want to promote those as well, send it my way. And don't forget to subscribe to the Tough Call YouTube channel. Find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and be sure to subscribe to this podcast right now and give it a five-star rating. Together, we can put the hockey back in hitting.